Can you flare your nostrils? Yeah, I can suck them in too. Oh shit! Ready? Yeah. Oh, I can't. Mm. That's the first time in my life. There you go. I'm not able to do that unless I close them first. Yeah. My fingies. Can you They're wiggle so... your ears? Hmm? Can you wiggle your ears? Yeah. You can't see it right now. You have headphones. Oh, you're also moving your. Uh... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. You got it. Some people can't do it without their eyebrows moving. I'm not able to do that. What was the first talent you had as, as a, a wee bab? Um, I don't remember. How how we are we talking? Because I used to have, like, weird ones. Weest as, as we goes. I don't know. I used to be really good at impersonations when I was a kid. Mm. Now I'm terrible at them. Yeah, I can't, I'm, I'm can't bad at accents and things like that. I was able to put my <laughs> leg behind my head. I think that was the first skill that I had as a kid. I could really I've had yeah, people sit down and put my leg all the way Test that on me, me multiple really? times. Yep. Damn. Mm-hmm. Good times. Welcome to the 44th episode of Beer and Fear. Oh, we're just diving in. We're just going going in. My name is Zach. My name is Paige. My name is Jack. We got Jack here again. Yeah, baby. Thanks for letting me come. I'm excited. <laughs> uh, we're going to do this week's episode on the Green River Killer. Oh, damn. His name is Gary Ridgway. If you didn't know, he's got a name. Now you do. The Green River Killer. He was a killer. Mm. And um, mm-hmm. he was uh, associated with the Green River. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. The drink or the place? Yes. Yeah. That's okay. it. That's the episode. Yep. Okay. Beer and Fear Cast at like <laughs> <laughs> But before we get into Gary Ridgway and the beer that we're going to try this week, let's share a little bit about our weeks. A lot of stuff's happened. Yeah. Big, big week, except in this corner. Nothing happened, except I went on a trip to Michigan. Uh, that sounds at, like that's something. Not nothing. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> Compared. Comparatively. Michigan's, Michigan's great. Yeah, it is fantastic. But we stayed on uh, North Manitou Island. All jokes aside, it was not nothing. It was very fun. Uh-huh. Um, about 12 miles off the coast of uh, the pinky of Michigan. Okay, so on the east coast. No, no, no. It's like if you were to drive your car off the the northern, or yeah, eastern side, but the you leave off the north coast. Yeah. And you go straight. Basically, if you were to drive your car off that coast and try to drive to the UP, it would be right smack dab in the middle of that path. Okay. Um, so we stayed there. It was pretty cool. Um, no roads, no, uh, no infrastructure except a couple houses that were there for the rangers. Mm-hmm. that stayed there um but other than that it was like a bunch of old abandoned houses a big old lake in the middle old graveyard super remote yeah very remote um it was awesome like Sounds no spooky. light pollution yeah it was fantastic yeah i like um we go up to michigan usually once a year mm-hmm. we have a place up there by the town of luddington which i've talked about before mm-hmm. but what's super cool is the no light pollution is you can step outside the porch of the house 
And if it's like midnight, as long as it's a clear day, you can look up. And I literally saw the Milky Way galaxy like tear through the sky. Yeah. It is ridiculous. So it's gorgeous up there. We always like looking at the stars. You got to see like the whole cloud of it and everything. Yeah. I think we we got to do that the first night, not the second night, because there were a few clouds. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't as clear. But the first night we stayed at, what is it, Sleeping Bear Dunes. Okay. And I just said, you know fuck it i'm not sleeping in a tent and i just slept on the ground wow and just looked at the stars and went knocked out i don't think i could do that i need yeah. a bed <laughs> i did have a sleeping pad which was nice um, decent michigan's great mm-hmm. and uh they got some great wine too so i always try to make sure i come home with some wine mm-hmm. shout out there's this place called lake jane brewing company um stovetop um, restaurant. They were two different entities, but right next to each other. Mm-hmm. Excellent beer, excellent food, and they had live music, which was really cool, too. Nice. We hit there on the way back, I think, and uh, very, very cool town. Cool. So, besides that, just work. Incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how about you guys? Michigan's great. You had a good week, Paige. I moved. Finally moved Yay. in. Zachary helped me move. Mm-hmm. We had to climb up a flight of stairs and 26 times 26 times According and my, my watch. freaking Gosh. legs are killing me yep chubby people and stairs do not mix <laughs> let me tell you it is just not a good time it is you're literally going against gravity that's against god yeah <laughs> not in this christian podcast <laughs> no thank you Mm-mm. It is on the second floor. Which, yeah, it was literally just a flight of stairs, but there were very steep yeah, stairs. There are steep stairs. But it's a nice place. It is nice. I like it. I like my roommate. Yeah. She's cool. She's a good lady. Mm-hmm. Well, congratulations. You got a lot of boxes. Yeah, Contact. I got Golf down claps. to, I want to say I got down to eight boxes. So I'm down to eight. Oh, That's okay. not bad. Yeah. yeah. I got rid of some stuff, um, so it's, it's not too bad. I'm going to have to throw some more stuff away. Mm-hmm. If anyone wants to buy my used socks, hit me up. How used are they? <laughs> used in just the right way. Mm, I'm considering it. And you can check out the marketplace at bit.ly slash BAF socks. <laughs> or you can purchase Paige's socks. And then you filter between Paige, Zach, and Jack's oh, socks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're all getting on this. Oh, no, you do not want mine. <laughs> that just means they do want it. Uh, Maybe. If they're in the market for socks, they're in the market for those kind of socks. Uh, yeah, baby. A fungus. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I moved. I've been working my new job pretty steadily. Which you love. Which I love very much. I More do golf enjoy it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Excitement. Yes, so I'm enjoying that. Um, oh, and I think I need new brake pads, so there's that. <laughs> yeah. Car maintenance is bullshit. A bitch. Mm-hmm. Isn't it weird that brakes... When they're working, we've talked about this. I, did I bring it up on the last podcast? No, not on the last podcast. Say the, you just told thing. me. Yeah, brakes when they break are working. Yeah. <laughs> Wild, Damn. mind blown. How was your week, Zachary? Yeah, it was good. That's it. It was excellent. Let me look through my phone to see what I did. Mm-hmm. Got to remember, jog your memory. Yeah. I. You know me, I you know I, that's why I write stuff down. Fourth um, of July happened. 
I worked that day. Me too. It was annoying. Did you guys light off fireworks inside the office? Yes. That's 100%. Baller. We burned the place down, so I've, I'm out of a job for the time being. Um, and then I helped you move. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. It was very um, helpful. Um, and then I left your apartment and I got in a car accident. No! Yeah. <laughs> if you could see my face right now. You would be a little sad. I'm sad. I lost my car. My car is a total loss. Um, and I hit my head somewhere in my car, I think on my steering wheel. So I had to go to the hospital. Paige drove me to the hospital, bless her soul, and was there with me while I got nine stitches in my face. <clears throat> I'm very sore right now and just not in the best mood. But uh, it's it's Okay. Could have been a lot worse. I keep telling myself every day. Could have been a lot worse. I'm glad I'm walking away from it. You know, glad all I all I got was a couple stitches. I could have broken something. It seemed a lot worse. You know, that seemed bad, especially when you played it back. Yeah, and I yeah. I have a dash cam, and this is why I have a dash cam, and it's why I advise everyone who's listening to invest in a dash cam because it's it's there for the time that. Hopefully you may never need to use it, but it's there when you need it, you know. Um, but it'll save your ass, which uh, it did mine, because apparently after I watched it, um, the person who hit, who hit my car was not in the intersection when the light was yellow. They were in the intersection when the light was red. They were behind the line when the light was red. They blew a red light. So I'm going to figure that all that out, and I need a new car, and I'm just... Said. Yeah. But it's okay. Things could be a lot worse, and I'm grateful that I'm still here with you guys. I'm grateful f- for you being able to A, walk. Yeah. So you can mm-hmm. come give me high fives still. Right. If I would have. touch your butt. If I would. Yeah, exactly. If uh-huh. you couldn't touch my butt anymore, I would be livid. I'd be upset. And, and also probably have to go on Zoloft again. Wow. But you know what? Think, just think whatever, whatever you know, Cthulhu, whoever's Cthulhu? out there, the big yeah, the big Cthulhu, the big spaghetti monster, flying spaghetti monster, Cthulhu? flying spaghetti monster, Cthulhu. Did I say Cthulhu? You did. Good God, please crucify me. Honestly. Um, yeah, but no, I I have no words other than thank you for fucking not taking Zach yeah. Cthulhu. Thank you, Dark Lord Cthulhu. Yeah. Thank you. Oh. Whatever you guys said. Let's get <laughs> into the beer. Yeah! If I got drumsticks, I'm going to slap them. Can we make Joe Dirt sounds? Oh, my God. <laughs> I have not seen that movie in so long. Same. The beer I better for, be excited for this beer. Uh, mm. Oh, come on. Don't do that. No, it's uh, it's cool. I think you'll like it. Um, it's It's a little different. It's actually a lot different. It's a lot different. The beer that I picked out for the Green River Killer is called Discovery Amber Ale by Greens. I was going to say, is it because they discovered... And they discovered a lot of bodies. Uh, (laughs) Discovery Amber (laughs) Ale is the beer by Greens. It's just Greens. It's not Greensbury. It's not whatever. It's Mm -hmm. just Greens. So Greens... Much like St. Arat is another microbrew beer company that doesn't have a physical tap room. And this particular beer was actually produced with the help of, I'm going to butcher this, 
De Prof. Brewery. Brewery. Mm-hmm. De Prof. Brewery. You're killing this. You got it. It is um, Belgian. Whatever. Is it Belgian? The language they speak in Belgium? Belgian? Belgish? Is Belgish a language? <laughs> it's P R O E F B R O U W E R I J. De Prof. Brewery. Heck yeah. I think they speak French in Belgium. Oh, I'm sorry. It's a Flemish brewery, if I read oh. my next word. Founded in 1996 by Dirk Nautz and his wife, Saskia. Dutch, French, I knew, I knew Belgish wasn't real. <laughs> the brewery is located in the village of Locristi, Belgium, near Ghent. You know, Ghent. Oh, it's yeah. It's right by Ghent. I go there all the time. It's right next door to Ghent. My dad was born right by there. Wow. <laughs> no, for real. I'm not making that up. In, I like Belgish. In Ghent? Yeah, by Ghent. Oh. Okay. Yeah. The altarpiece of Ghent. They operate as a rental brewery, creating up. beers for third-party brewers, as well as producing their own beers. So, Greens used this Flemish brewery to make their beer. The Greens story. In 1988, Derek Green had a problem. He had to avoid the gluten in barley and wheat, and at that time in the UK, indeed Europe, there was no gluten-free beer available. A miserable life without beer lay ahead. A natural entrepreneur, though, he traveled across Europe at the start of the century, getting brewery doors slammed in his face. The response was not good. Too complicated and why bother were common refrains. So began a long process of discussions, meetings, trials, false hopes, and dead-end trails. Breweries did not want to know about production that did not exist and one that could not be quantified. The breakthrough. The breakthrough came in 2003 when he met an eminent Belgian professor of brewing whom, by coincidence, had a daughter who also needed to avoid gluten. And there began a relationship with the mutual goal of brewing a beer made from alternative grains to barley, one that would be naturally gluten and wheat free. After numerous trials in May 2004, Greens launched the UK's first ever naturally gluten-free beer from alternative grains named, not surprisingly, Discovery. So we're trying the first one. Pretty quickly, once the awards started rolling in, the range of gluten-free beer expanded and they started to be exposed to more and more countries eager to try this new range of beers. Today, Greens still produce the original Discovery Ale, plus Dry Hopped Lager, India Pale Ale, Triple, and Double, all of which are produced with 100% gluten-free raw materials. Developing the range in 2008, the professor established a means of extracting safely and consistently gluten from uh, conventional beers brewed with barley malt. This created the opportunity to provide wider choices, and Green's Premium Pills and Golden Ale were launched the same year, followed in 2010 by the bottle-conditioned beers Dark, Amber, and Blonde. These gluten-free beers continue to be brewed by Belgian craft brewers to this day, and they all have European accreditation to be called gluten-free, meaning a safe beer for celiacs and choice from the largest range in the world. That was all from their website. That is wild. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of information. Yeah. First ever gluten-free beer in the UK. This is... Uh, the description from their website, bottle re-fermented and naturally gluten-free, the original and first beer produced by Greens. Serve at cellar temperature, available in selected independent retailers or buy online now. This is an amber ale, as the name suggests. Uh, so from craftbeer.com, the American amber ale is one of the most widely enjoyed styles throughout the United States and serves as a cornerstone style of the American craft brewing revolution. American ambers are darker in color than their pale ale cousins, 
the presence of caramel and crystal malts lending a toasted toffee flavor along with the perception of a fuller body when compared to beers without such malts. Amber beer showcases a medium-high to high malt character with medium to low caramel character derived from the use of roasted crystal malts. The American amber is characterized by American variety hops, which lend the amber ale notes of citrus, fruit, and pine to balance the sweetness of the malt. As with many amber beer types, American amber ale is highly versatile companion to American cuisine, particularly foods that are grilled or barbecued, as roasted malts complement seared, charred, and caramelized proteins, making this ale beer type a perennial favorite at backyard cookouts. Pair with barbecue, medium cheddar cheese, and banana pound cake. Okay. I'm down with that. Tasting notes from Greens. A medium-bodied amber ale with a subtle caramel and nut flavor nuances. Uh, refined herbal hop aroma and finish. And it got the 2011 USA Vegetarian Times Foodie Awards Best Gluten-Free Ale. Ingredients are naturally free. Uh, sorry, naturally gluten-free. Water, buckwheat, millet, millet, sorghum, hops, brown rice, and yeast. ABV is 6, IBU is 32. Ooh. Before, this does have a, um, a score on Beer Advocate, but before I read it, mm-hmm. I think let's try the beer first, and out of 100, oh, you we will score it. it. Let's see, let's, if we were Beer Advocate, where would we score this yeah, okay. out of 100? Let's give it a shot. Make this interesting. Oh, yeah, baby. So, when you were describing the APA, right? Or American Amber Ale, sorry, the AAA. So, I remember you saying UK. So, is this a UK version of that? Or is it still considered an American Amber Ale because of how it's brewed? Uh, it, yeah, it's an Amber Ale. It's okay. different from an APA. Mm-hmm. Um, different from IPAs. It's not a pale ale. Oh, yeah, not pale. I, I misspoke when I said that, but an Amber Ale, so... Is there a difference between American Amber Ales and... Um, oh, yeah, 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 I get what you're saying. I should have asked that while you were on the mic. So I get what you're saying. That So the the description was from craftbeer.com, mm-hmm. and they only had American, American right? Amber Ales. Yeah. They didn't have, like, British Amber Ale or UK Amber Ale. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's a difference in the brewing process. Um, just like... Uh, what was another one? Like, barley wine. Mm-hmm. I think there's a few different styles of barley wine. UK and American barley wine, yeah, or stouts, mm-hmm. American versus English stouts. Mm-hmm. So there are slight differences between the two. I couldn't find anything at craftbeer.com mm-hmm. that talked about it, but interesting. Yeah, no, I just wondered. We got two bottles here. The last two. Yeah, the last two that this Benny's had, they were nice enough to put them aside for me. This is one pint and point nine ounces fluid ounces so a little over a pint in each bottle uh and we're going to split these in between three glasses that's good timing wait <gasps> wait what am i doing that's why i don't use that one. Oh yeah hmm interesting let me smell it out the bottle let Somebody. me smell it out the bottle get a bottle smell thank you always need a bottle smell it smells like old lady perfume. That's weird. It smells like my deodorant. Wait. <laughs> Hold on a second. Do I use old lady perfume? Let me smell your armpits. Okay, come on over. Oh, that's a lot of walking. It smells a little like cat litter. 
You said that about Famosa. Interesting color. Matches up from what I've tried before. Oh, it does smell like cat litter. Oh yeah, especially when it's out the bottle. Did I did I ever tell you the trick that I learned with foam? Uh, yeah, I brutally told you how I wouldn't want that in my foam. Even just like a fingertips worth? No, thank you. Damn. Yeah, you said it in the last podcast. I did. Okay. Mm -hmm. I thought so, but I was questioning myself. All right, boys. That's a better clink. Good clink. Than those Spiegelau glasses. <clears throat> hmm. I don't know what that is. <laughs> Your face. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Um, a bad time. I feel like <laughs> the aftertaste isn't good. Nope. No. The whole taste isn't good. The how it lingers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you said you thought I'd like this. You were just being optimistic for no reason. Oh man, I really don't want to like trash this. Hey, I, I said that going into this this season of episodes, I was going to be brutal. Yeah. Yeah. And consistently, I have been. All right. Hey, well. remember? Remember? I, I one of the earlier episodes, I said. This is uh, not good beer and fear. That is very this true. Is beer and fear. That is very true. So we had beers like Famosa. Uh, Pages had beers like Sequench, which she's not a fan mm. of. Um, You're wrong. So this is the podcast where we try beer, regardless of... I just didn't want to go straight in for the fucking throat, but I'll just say it. This tastes like if I would imagine the runoff of the Green River from the stories that we're going to be talking yeah. about mixed with cat piss. It's just not good. Nope. No. No. And like if I picked up a bunch of gravel. <laughs> and then I, yeah, and then I, I put it in a pot and then held a cat over the pot and had it yeah. pee in the yeah. pot. Yeah. Swirled it around, took a spoon and. Uh, Sipped it. Sipped it. Yeah. 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 It, it, strong cat vibes from this. Just the ammonia of cat piss. Mm-hmm. That is what I am getting from yeah, this. Yeah, it's just very harsh, and there's no smoothness or roundness to it all. It's, it's just got a very bitter aftertaste. And, extremely and, like, bitter. And the taste in it is very nasty. Mm-hmm. Jesus. <laughs> I'm trying to give it an opportunity, so I'm sipping it, and I just regret it every time. Yeah, I don't know what that... I mean, there's nuttiness, but it's like stale acorns. Mm-hmm. I just can't get over the smell. Maybe like, like when you're taking a drink. Yeah, like the smell's not good. No, I found a way not. to enjoy it. You swallow without tasting. Oh, yeah. oh! You just chug it. Wait, hold on, hold on. Oh, that does work. Yeah, you just oh, don't let it settle on your better. tongue. Yeah. Now uh, I didn't look at these bottles. Ah, the aftertaste comes up right bad. You, have you tried the burp yet? It's not great. God. I did try the burp, and the burp was a no-go. I didn't look at the bottles. Um, I, I wanted to make sure it wasn't expired. It is not expired. It says best before January 21st, 2023. It says rediscover beer. Yeah, I'm discovering bad beer. It's... <laughs> no, I don't... 
<laughs> is that your bad beer sound? That's yeah, I don't need alarm. to do more words. I can just make sounds. I I don't know if it's necessarily the lack of gluten that's contributing to the poor taste, or if it's just that this isn't a good beer. Thank you. Did you smell that? Uh, no, because I, I did. I can taste it. Yeah. I I wonder how much that does. Have you tried? Have you tried other gluten free beers? No, this is the first gluten free beer or outside of the podcast. Nope. First ever, and that's partially why I picked it. Yeah. I mean, I picked it because the name, the brewery. Mm-hmm. Um, I th- and I looked at the Beer Advocate review before, and I was like, "Fuck it, I'm not changing my mind. Yeah, I'm getting this beer. Kay. Stick to your guns. So, that's admirable." Did you want us to guess what we think the review is? Yeah. So, do you know how Beer Advocate? Have, you've been on Beer Advocate, right? Mm-hmm. And you've heard us score. So yeah. they have their tiers. I think mm-hmm. it's like ninety to a hundred is outstanding. Like 85 to 90 is very good. 80 to 85 is good. Um, so they ha- and then there's like world class, which is like mm-hmm. 95 to 100. So out of 100, where would you put this beer? So me, I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna say that there's probably people who are like super against gluten that were just mm-hmm. like, oh my god, it's not got gluten in it. This must be delicious. And then they drank it and they hated it, but they couldn't admit that it was bad because it was gluten free. <laughs> so those are the people that lied on Beer Advocate and said it was good. So it's gonna yeah. have a sixty, in my opinion. Six zero mm-hmm. sixty. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was thinking around somewhere the same because I every time I test or try a drink. Does it pass the the hives test? I don't know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If if I get the, I don't know if it's hives. I've been trying to figure out, figure this out for a while. Whatever it is, this reaction, I get these red blotches, almost like I've been drinking for hours. Yeah. But I've only had one sip or two sips. If it passes that, it's good. And this kind of, this passes that. So it's got to be something with the wheat content and whatever I'm drinking. Mm-hmm. So for that. It's admirable. And also the fact that, you know, that they persevered through the fact of yeah. being shut out so many times. Right. It's probably because they tried it. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, with that, I would probably, I don't know, I would guess like a, I'm going to go quite low just to undercut it. 45. 45. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we haven't had very low ranking beers on this podcast. No. Um, yeah, I... I don't like the beer. I don't think it tastes good. This Mm-mm. is probably the worst beer that I've tasted on this show. I would put it below Famosa. Um, Damn. Because Famosa was a lager and it was actually okay. It just, there just, just wasn't anything special it was about like it. like the Bud Light version of, right. uh, you know. Uh, Famosa actually had a 59 of Awful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we haven't had a beer that bad Um this one got from Beer Advocate a 66. Ooh, Dang. I was so close. You're very close. That's what's up. 66 poor. Because I know you gluten liars. You're yeah. out there. It's ranked 314 in this style and 50,511 overall. It's got 53 reviews, 65 ratings, with an average rating of 2.49. Yep, those are apt. That apt makes ratings. sense. Yeah, 66 poor. And again, I I saw this on Beer Advocate. I saw the beer. I was like, let's just try it. I know it's not going to taste good. I didn't have my hopes up for it. Mm-hmm. But it's cool that the this brewery is doing that, providing gluten-free yeah. beers to people who can't drink gluten. Sure. Keep them uh, in the loop. But they're really missing out, I got to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just, I mean, I guess to somebody who, has, who can't have gluten, who, you know, 
can't have beers that have gluten in it this is this is probably good to them and they have other beers in the lineup which i talked about and some of those are ranked and rated higher than this one sure mm-hmm. so we're not going to count you out entirely green yeah greens we'll be back again we'll give you another chance oh. and plus this is the first one who's to say that yeah. the other ones aren't fucking fantastic because yeah, they sure. worked out whatever they worked out Try the other greens. Mm-hmm. This beer was, this beer was a. I knew, and I knew it was gonna be bad, and I picked it anyway. Cause... Hey, but I, I, I admire that though. Mm. It's like, uh, what is it? The I feel fucking, like my teeth. What's the dumb fucking poem from? Uh... Robert Frost. No, not take, Robert Frost. Take the road less traveled. Now. Oh, I'm sorry. Now it is dumb. Well, the poem's not done. The replication of it is dumb, but. No, the one, the light brigade from Blindside. That's what it was. Where they're like, well, we're all going to die anyways, but we're just going to go with it because that's kind of the right thing to do. You stuck with your guns, Zach. Yeah. And that's what's important because <laughs> you said it, and it's true. This is not good beer and fear. This is beer and fear. I feel the badness in my not. molars. Yeah. In your molars? In my I, molars. Fuck. I, I would feel upset if all we tried was good beers. Yeah. If what we did was look at Beer Advocate, see if it got this rating or higher, and then approved the beer. Mm-hmm. I want to try shitty beers. Yeah. Because I want to know what they taste like. I want to have stuff to, to compare it to. Because when I, then when I have a, a beer like uh, Terradome... Oh, God, I almost puked. Because <laughs> then when I have a beer like Terradome, it lets me appreciate it that much more. That was a great beer. Exactly. I saved one for you. You did? Yeah, Terradome, yeah. That one right on the end there. You are a goddess. It's incredible. I also have some Vlad if you want one. Stop. I got Vlad left over? Dude, those are the two beers I've been excited about. And I've been like, I gotta find it, I gotta find it, I gotta find it, I gotta find it. Gary Ridgway, full name Gary Leon Ridgway, was born February 18th, 1949 in Salt Lake City, Utah. USA, baby. USA. That's where Utah's at. He is considered the country's deadliest convicted serial killer. He has claimed to have killed as many as 80 women, many of whom were prostitutes. Not a safe profession. Uh, Ridgway grew up in what became SeaTac, Washington. His father was a bus driver and his mother uh, was a sales clerk. The younger Ridgway later claimed that his mother engaged in inappropriate behavior. Notably, he alleged that after wetting the bed, a habit that persisted into his early teens, <laughs> what a fucking lame ass, she would wash his genitals. At some point, he began fantasizing about killing her, and in the mid-1960s, he stabbed a young boy. After graduating from high school in 1969 at the age of 20... Okay, this story just ramped the hell up. <laughs> it's just... Uh, Ridgway served a two-year stint in the U.S. Navy and later settled in the Seattle area, where he worked as a truck painter. Over the next 30 years, he married three times and had a son. Hmm. Just one? Just the, just the one. Just the one? All right. Usually people in that, like, time are like, I'm going to have, like, you know... Yeah, a couple what's, kids what's, with this yeah, wife, what's the American age? Mm-hmm. The American dream or whatever? 2.5 kids? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're saying. You know? Uh, in 1980, Ridgway was arrested for allegedly choking a prostitute, but no far, uh, charges were filed after he claimed that the woman had bit him. Mm. Two years later, he was arrested for solicitation. Uh, Ridgway was believed to have begun his kill- his killing spree shortly thereafter. 
Uh, his first victim was thought to have been a 16-year-old girl who went missing after leaving her foster home in July 1982. Her body was found a week later in the Green River. Over the next two years, Ridgway raped and killed more than 40 women, many of whom were prostitutes or runaways. Mm. A number of Ridgway's early victims were later found in or near the river, giving rise to the nickname Green River Killer. Other bodies were discovered in remote wooded areas. After 1984, he committed several more murders, the last occurring in 1998. Which also is the year, to bring it full circle, that the beer... Um, Holy cow, yeah. The brewery oh, was... Yeah. The green. brewery was started. Green. Oh, that's funny. Another bo- mind-blown wow. moment. Holy shit, guys. Fuck. Um, by August 1982, police believed that a serial killer was at work, and they eventually formed a special task force. Ridgway soon became a suspect. In 1983, he was questioned in the disappearance of a prostitute who a witness claimed that had gotten into his truck. Ridgway denied the allegations and passed a polygraph in 1984. Detectives later discovered a 1982 report about police finding Ridgway with a prostitute in a parked car. Two years later, a body was found nearby. In 1987, law enforcement officials obtained a search warrant for Ridgway's home and work. However, none of the items, including carpet fibers and ropes, could be linked to the victims. They also obtained a DNA sample from Ridgway, Ridgway, but the technology then available was unable to match it with semen recovered from the bodies. However, following the advent of more sophisticated tests, a match was made in 2001, and Ridgway was arrested later that year. I saw that detail um, while doing my research. I thought that was very cool. So, like, they got his DNA. Technology didn't exist at the time to convict him, but they kept it. They kept the case open, and then later on, once they had the technology available, they... I'm just imagining a fridge full of sperm samples. <laughs> These are all the guys we need to convict. And yes. all of their children. This is our backlog of testing. And all of their children. Although he initially procra- proclaimed his innocence, Bridgeway soon confessed to the crime, stating that he wanted to kill as many prostitutes as possible. He targeted sex workers because he thought they might not be reported missing and because he hated most of them. In 2003, he accepted a plea deal in which he was sentenced to 48 consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole. In addition, he agreed to reveal the location of undiscovered bodies. Many speculated that he was responsible for more deaths. And in 2013, Ridgway said that he had murdered upwards of 80 women. Mm -hmm. Holy shit. But they had only found like... 40-something, yeah. Which I believe, in his confession, he actually... I think he confessed to a few of them of the 48. I think a few of them were cases that weren't actually even connected to him in their suspicion. Yeah. There was a couple of them where they were like, oh, shit, that was you? Okay, thank you. (laughs) Appreciate that. Yeah. Most of his victims were very young. Yeah, I was looking through that chart, too. There were, uh, what were some of the ages? Uh, 15, mm. 16. Um, the looks like the oldest is like 36. Uh, the youngest is 14. There's one that's, um, there's 21. It's a wide range. 14. Yeah, but youngest is anywhere from, there's, they said it's a scale. So it's an unidentified woman and the scale is 14 to 18 years old. Wow. Very upsetting. And I think there's Extremely. some of those victims are still obviously yet to be found and yet to be identified as well. I think that's a good place I can cut in. Yeah, if you want. I don't think I have anything else to add. Sure. It's a good summary. I wish this beer was good so I could continue drinking it. 
Um, oh, I wanted to mention, uh, as a young child, Ridgeway was tested with an IQ of 82. Oh, wow. So he had low intelligence. And his academic performance in school was so poor that at one point in high school, he had to repeat a single school year twice in order to attain grades decent enough to pass. Hmm. His classmates at Tai High School, or Tai describe him as congenial, but largely forgettable. So, uh, I, I think the combination of the mommy issues and the low IQ and obviously his childhood, his upbringing played a big part into how he became who he was. Sure. I mentioned how he stabbed a child. Um, When he was a teenager, he stabbed a six-year-old boy um, who survived the attack. He led the boy into the woods and then stabbed him through the ribs into the liver. According to the uh, victim and Ridgway himself, Ridgway walked away laughing and saying, I always wondered what it would be like to kill someone. That's uh, that's a pretty good sign. You got to... You got a potential serial killer on your hands. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think that was something where I was reading about, like, that is something that every serial killer has done is they go out and experiment in their young age. Mm-hmm. Whether, you know, everyone knows the trope of, like, they kill rabbits yeah. or they kill little animals. Oh, yeah. The first sign of a serial killer or, like, a psychopath is animal torture. Yeah. And, I mean, he just went straight for the kid. He was like, hey, come here to this bush. That uh, that reminds me, when I was growing up uh, at my, my mom's house in Romeoville, I had a neighbor who was around my age. Uh, I think her name was Kylie, mm-hmm. and I distinctly remember this. Uh, her and I talked. Mm-hmm. We were kind of friends. We lived right down the street from each other. I went over to her house one day, and she had some fish. They were small fish mm-hmm. about this couple inches and she took one of the fish and took it out of the water and placed it on the porch outside of her house on the front porch and she stabbed it with a pencil i distinctly remember this kylie's got some problems yeah and this this kind of like unhinged that memory i've never forgotten about it because it was very strange (laughs) it's just never come up because it's never been relevant never been relevant but I wonder, I don't know how she's doing. I don't know where she's at now. Hopefully she's good. Hopefully she hasn't killed 50 people. Therapy works, people. Please go. (laughs) I'm going to read this article about Gary Ridgway. Go for it, baby. Baby. Bye-bye. With no small measure of pride, Gary Leon Ridgway says strangling young women was his career. Choking is what I did, he boasted to investigators, and I was pretty good at it. For a serial killer in the United States, his career statistics are without peer. As the admitted Green River killer, he has claimed responsibility for 48 documented corpses, with an estimated 12 more moldering in the woods. He killed for 20 years without getting caught, a North American record for murderous longevity. Ridgway's confession, which he punctuated November 5 by pleading guilty to murder 48 times, took him five months to disgorge. The prosecution's 133-page narrative account of that confession offers a chillingly detailed and surprisingly literary look into his homicidal methods. As one reads it, expectations mount that detectives, prosecutors, state psychologists, and Ridgway himself will unveil the nature of an evil that becomes more unimaginable and more nauseating as the body count clicks ever higher. 
Like the murders, the confession raises the inescapable question, why? As the narrative unfolds, what first becomes clear is that Ridgway took a more disciplined careerist approach to serial murder than any other American ever has. He sweated every detail of finding, killing, and disposing of human beings. Though his IQ tested in the low 80s and he barely made it through high school, he could recall each detail with a level of precision that staggered investigators. Before his confessing began, Ridgway, now 54, had been remarkable for his ability to keep his mouth shut. Investigators say that from the time he started strangling prostitutes in 1982 until he cut the deal this year that spared him the death penalty, he never told anyone about his killings. After his arrest, his flabbergasted third wife, who had been with him for 17 years, told one of his lawyers, he treated me like a newlywed. He kept no incriminating trophies of his kills. Police never found any evidence in his modest suburban house, although he said he strangled dozens of women there. He stripped jewelry from the bodies, sometimes leaving it in the women's restroom at the Kenworth Motor Truck Plant in Renton, Washington, where he painted trucks for more than 30 years and won awards for perfect attendance. My favorite thing was maybe if someone's walking around with a piece of that jewelry that they found in the bathroom, he told investigators. He always wore gloves with his dates. He would not pick up prostitutes unless they were alone. He bought new tires for his truck when he felt he'd driven too close to the site of a dumped body. He didn't smoke or chew gum, yet he left cigarette butts and gum wrappers near his victims' bodies as confusing clues. When one victim badly scratched his arm, he disguised the wound by basing it with battery acid. If a prostitute scratched or ripped his clothes, he would clip her fingernails before disposing of the body. Damn. Wild. He was nothing if not pragmatic. He liked killing prostitutes, he said, because they were easy to pick up, they were slow to be reported missing, and if they had any money on them, they ended up paying him for their own murder. Occasionally, he would have sex with decaying corpses, not because he found dead women more exciting than live ones, he said, but because necrophilia was less risky than killing another woman. If he pulled a muscle while dragging a body out into the woods, he said, he would claim a work-related injury and collect workers' compensation. It was after his second divorce in 1981, when he had custody of his son on alternate weekends, that Ridgway got very busy. He lost a lot of sleep between 82 and 84, he said, killing at least 42 women. Then, in 1985, Ridgway met his third wife at a gathering of parents without partners. By then, he was well acquainted with detectives from the Green River Task Force. He'd first been questioned in 1983 when someone told police they saw a young woman on the night she disappeared get into a truck similar to Ridgeway's. He denied picking her up and police moved on. His name surfaced several more times, but Ridgeway passed a polygraph test in which he denied killing any women. In 1987, he finally gave police something useful, a saliva sample. Ridgway was caught in 2001 thanks to a DNA match using that saliva. Everyone who knew Ridgway well expressed amazement. One brother who grew up sleeping in the same bedroom and who had gone on family outings with him until the, up until the time of his arrest told police that Ridgway had never behaved abnormally. Longtime co-workers and former girlfriends echoed this assessment. He was not a loner, said the King County prosecutor in a summary of the evidence against Ridgway. He controlled his anger. He had no significant known juvenile criminal history. He was either married or had a steady girlfriend all of his adult life. And yet the prosecution's summary asserts, those who thought they knew Ridgway best did not know him at all. Ridgway's gift was to bury evil so deeply in the trappings of an ordinary life that it did not exist except on the nights when he was out polishing his career skills. 
Research has found that most serial killers were sexually and physically abused as children. In addition, many show symptoms of mental illness and have some form of physical brain dysfunction such as fetal alcohol syndrome or injury from a fall. The case of the Green River Killer, who got away with more documented murders for more years than any American ever has, suggests that he was in a class of his own when it came to riding herd on whatever demons motivated him to kill. His containment is amazing, especially given his pride in what he did, said Reed Malloy, a forensic psychologist and associate clinical professor of psychiatry at the University of California in San Diego. To have strong feelings of pride in one's career as a serial murderer and then not communicate that to anyone for 21 years is a measure of remarkable discipline. Malloy, who specializes in the study of sexual and serial murder and is author of The Psychopathic Mind, said Ridgway seemed to focus obsessively on self-preservation. His sexualized homicidal aggression is very narrowly channeled and does not carry over into any other antisocial behavior, he says. And consider how he compares with three of the best-known serial killers. Ridgway, by contrast, stayed close to home. The woman disappeared just a few miles from where he grew up, where he worked, and where he owned a house. And Ridgway was also careful about corpses. He made elaborate plans to dispose of bodies in the Green River, in ravines, and along heavy wooded roads, in such a way that the pattern did not suggest where he lived. Ridgway silently rejoiced in his banality. He told investigators that it was the secret of his success. I look like an ordinary person, he says. Here's a guy, he's not really muscle-bound, he's not, uh, look like a fighter, just an ordinary John, and that was their, the prostitute's downfall. My appearance was different from what I really was. At the end of their narrative, the prosecutors ask, why did Ridgway kill? It's a question that Ridgway himself was utterly incapable of answering. Queries about the torment he inflicted on his victims or other families seemed to puzzle him. The woman he killed meant nothing to him, he said. So meticulous about everything else, he had a devil of a time remembering their faces. And the prosecutor's answer was a non-answer. He suffered from no mental illness that would absolve him of responsibility for these crimes. In five months of interviews, he displayed no empathy for his victims and expressed no genuine remorse. He killed because he wanted to. He killed because he could. He killed to satisfy his evil and unfathomable desires. As for remorse, one of Ridgway's lawyers, Michelle Shaw, strongly disagrees with the prosecution. It was Shaw, after meeting with Ridgway once a week for 17 months, who coaxed him to confess his crimes in exchange for life in prison. She broke through to his secrets, she says, on April 9th in the King County Jail. She says she did it by telling him that his family would always love him, no matter what he had done. The confession produced a major change in Ridgway's behavior, Shaw said. She described his behavior since then. He frequently breaks down in tears. He worries about whether news of his crimes will ruin his elder brother's marriage. He thanks God that his mother, who died three months before his arrest, is not around to learn the truth. He talks about how any profits from a book or movie about his crimes should go to the families of the victims. In Shaw's view, Ridgway does not fit the usual psychological profile of a serial killer. Defense psychiatrist, she says, found him to be devoid of any significant mental health problem or brain deficit. Gary does not fit the profile of anything, she said, eagerly showing a photo album of him on camping trips with his extended family. Both of his brothers have successful lives in Seattle, Shaw said. When Ridgway's older brother read the prosecution summary, he threw up all night. 
In the family pictures, though, the Ridgeways looked relaxed and happy. Gary, in particular, looks handsome, fit, normal. That is the mystery to all of this, the lawyer said. There was, however, a problem with Mom. Family pictures show her to be a shapely, dark-haired, and attractive woman. She worked for most of her life at a sales clerk at JCPenney in Seattle. His father was a bus driver who died in the early 90s. Ridgway told the prosecution's forensic psychologist that, as a teenager, he was sexually attracted to his mother, and that he fantasized about killing her because of what he'd been thinking about her. When he was 15 or 16, Ridgway stabbed a six-year-old boy, he said, just to see how stabbing worked. He told the psychologist that he was interested in stabbing because of his feelings about his mother. I thought about stabbing her in the chest or in the heart, maybe, um, maybe uh, cut her face and chest, he said. Ridgway told the psychologist about wetting the bed until his early teens and that he had vivid memories of his mother washing his genitals afterwards. When outside experts on serial murder learn about this, they pounce on its fundamental importance. His mother's behavior, they agree, helped solve the mystery of Ridgway's motivation. They agree, too, that the washing was almost certainly part of a much greater pattern of inappropriate sexual contact. That is the tip of the iceberg, said Pincus, the neurologist, neurologist in Washington. Don't believe that that is the only thing that happened that was untoward. To Malloy, the psychologist at UC San Diego, the implications are obvious. For an adolescent, having your mother wash your genitals would be highly exciting and arousing, but it would also be humiliating, he said. With humiliation would come rage towards the mother. That is very common in serial murders, displaced matricide. Unconsciously, he is killing his mother over and over again. Malloy said that although Ridgway's mother probably helped mold his psychopathic mind, her actions alone were an insufficient explanation for his behavior. Most sexually abused children don't become serial murderers. In all likelihood, Malloy said something that was already a part of Ridgway's personality was set off by his mother's actions. A substantial body of research with serial murders suggests that a central aspect of their personalities is a callous and unemotional disregard for the rights and feelings of other people. It is something they are believed to be born with, nature, not nurture. Science is now supporting what was conjecture 50 years ago, when we would talk about the bad seed, Malloy said. Ridgway told investigators that there was something fundamental that was missing in him, something other people had. Caring, he said. Still, he didn't believe he was such a bad guy. When a psychologist asked him to rate himself on a scale of one to five, with five being the worst kind of evil, Ridgway thought for a moment. I'd say a three. Three, the psychologist asked. Uh-huh, Ridgway affirmed. For one thing is, uh, I killed him. I didn't torture him. They went fast. Boom. Holy shit. That was that article. That was a lot of information. I think a lot of very different information from the typical serial killer story, too. I mean, Mm -hmm. the fact that he had this pride about him, but also wasn't like... It wasn't like Ted Bundy pride, where it's like, Mm -hmm. fuck the defense. I'm going to support myself, and I'm going to represent myself. Like, that is just absurd. Yeah. But this level was like... Like that person said, it showed, and I'm not, I'm not uh, advocating advocating or commending anything, obviously, but that does show quite a bit of discipline to, for 20 years, 21 years, Mm -hmm. not let a single slip 
happen. Yeah, he was extremely meticulous. For being prideful and also having his IQ be in the low 80s. That is wild. Hmm. Hmm. It's weird how all that like kind of clicked and worked just right with his brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes you think. And everyone, yeah, everyone's different. Uh, investigators will draw a lot of similar conclusions between different serial murders and killers. Um, a lot of them do end up having commonalities, but every mm-hmm. everyone is unique in their own way. Yeah. Which, speaking, I wanted to bring this up with Ted, Ted Bundy. The thing that he actually did to help them catch Gary Ridgway was mm. obviously he was in custody at this point. Well, Ted Bundy was in custody. Mm. And the man who helped catch him, the detective, I think it was Robert Kemmel or something like that. Mm. He um, was talking to Ted Bundy and he was working on the Gary Ridgway case. And um, Ted Bundy said, you know, basically you can set up a trap because of this necrophiliac thing um that he'll typically return to the site multiple times Mm. and so if you find a new victim don't say anything Mm -hmm. just wait and be there then you'll catch him Mm. interesting sneaky Mm -hmm. very sneaky and i mean funny how that all plays out for a guy that's you know an egomaniac on one side, and then there's another guy who's extremely prideful, mm-hmm. but at the same time very disciplined. And like you said, it was almost obsessive how focused he was on self-preservation. Right. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of like you know Michael Jordan. The only goal was to win mm-hmm. at any cost, at any point to survive with Gary Ridgway. That was the point, and I mean, it, in some weird way, he kind of ex- succeeded. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He killed upwards of 80 women. He's not dead. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, is he, is he dead now? No. No. Okay. He's not dead. Yep. He avoided the death penalty by confessing. You know, not saying he won. Yeah. But in, in that aspect, he succeeded. Yeah. He definitely has a legacy now. A fucked up one. Mm. And I mean, I thought it was interesting that you added that he wanted all the proceeds. I'm not saying he's a good person, mm-hmm. but saying like how that change in behavior from the confession was like so. Yeah, it flipped his mentality. Polarizing, right yeah. Like that he was like, yeah, I want all the proceeds to go to the victim's families and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But if you watch the trial, he was still stone cold, like when everybody was describing, mm-hmm. you know, going through their their grief and voicing that to him. You know, shit's wild, man. <clears throat> what did you think of the beer? <laughs> it was a little poopy. <laughs> it was, you know, like drinking cologne with a mix of cat piss and litter ground up in the inside of it. Mm-hmm. I have never been so repulsed by something. Honestly, like I couldn't finish Sequench. I'm very surprised that I could finish this. I I, I just powered through it. It was repugnant. <laughs> repugnant. Did not like. Don't drink it. Don't waste your time. Nope. Wasn't a very good beer. I don't I don't know what happened here. I don't 
I don't know if the guys over at like are you are you guys trying your beer? Are you popping a bottle open every now and then, taking a swig? You know, like hey what? man, <laughs> I I've heard in Belgium the nuns feed or feed they uh, they uh, give the babies beer instead of milk to help them sleep. So I think this one would keep a is, baby up all night. Yeah, I was gonna say this is probably some Red Bull. <laughs> They're like the baby's like, oh fuck, dude, Jesus, <clears throat> that out of my face. <laughs> they so they probably try it and they're like, oh, it's just a darker roast. <laughs> Greens has other beers, and give it a shot. Try try if you've never had gluten free beer before. Try it. Don't try this one, but gluten free beer is interesting. I'm glad they're doing what what they set their minds to. This isn't a good beer. <laughs> Well said. Mm-hmm. Anything to add? Yeah. Just hmms and hows and mm, yeah. mm. that was that shit was wild. Mm. Oh, also I think the probably the you know, let's just say like there's a list of fifty things that were pretty disturbing about Gary Ridgeway. I would say somewhere up there is the fact that there's no E in his name. Oh yeah. Oh that's weird. That that's is right. Fucked up, man. R I D G W A Y. No. What a fucking weirdo! That's your first red flag, bro. That's messed up. First red flag, right there. Messed up, motherfucker. Honestly, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Reddit. If you want to stay up to date with our new episodes, we release every week, Wednesday at twelve p.m. Central Time. New episode every Wednesday. And then uh, tell us about the other ones. I don't remember. You can submit your personal spooky or scary story. If you've got one, just a story that is weird. Or like horror story or something you thought was crazy. Give us something. Yeah, beerandfearcast at gmail.com is our email that you can send those stories to. Or if you have any comments or questions or anything, you can send us an email. And then... Um, there was one more thing. No. No, that's it. Submit your stories. Submit your beers. Submit your stories and, sum- yeah, submit a beer with your story. If you're going to submit a story, submit a beer. I feel like we're getting worse at this. <laughs> Have a good day.